0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I am thrilled to introduce you guys to somebody that I'm describing as the Michael Jordan of accounting after <laughs> reading through his bio. Chris and I have known each other for a while. We actually collaborate um, on, a con- on consulting projects. We're doing one right now, uh, which is exciting. And we've been friends um, for some time now, but I didn't realize the number of accolades this guy had in the accounting space until he sent over a bio for this podcast interview. So I'm gonna to try to do it justice. Um, but he started his own CPA firm called A Better Way CPA where he works uh, mostly with creative agencies, digital marketing agencies, service businesses, and um, is a member of a whole bunch of different boards uh, and committees. He used to do forensic accounting, which is so cool. Uh, and I, I've never thought I would say that about accounting, but forensic accounting is really, really interesting to me. This is like taking down drug lords. I'm pretty sure this is one of the people that took down uh, Pablo Escobar. That's probably an exaggeration. I apologize for that. He was named to the CPA practice advisors, top 40, under 40. Uh, he has got every possible certification in the CPA space. I think he's got a certified valuation analyst certification. He's certified QuickBooks Pro Pro Advisor. He also has a data analytics executive certificate from the AI CPA. Um, with all of that, I'm extremely excited to welcome you to the show today. Thank you for being here, Chris Hervishan.
1: Well thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I have absolutely no idea how I follow up that intro. Um, so <laughs> hopefully hopefully I can do it justice.
0: Uh, so Chris, um, man, I'm excited for this episode because I feel like, um, we don't talk about the, the nitty gritty, um, the financial, the accounting side of agencies often enough. Um, and so there's just so many things that I want to talk to you about. So let's jump into it. Before I do that, I would love for you to give everybody a little bit of context on why you started working with service businesses specifically. What, like what drew you to, to
1: wanting to narrow your focus in on clients that are in this space? That's a great question. Um, so when I started, you know, I've, let me go back. Uh, I've always had an affinity for marketing going all the way back to high school. Uh, you know, participating in these business competitions and stuff like that. That was a big part of my high school uh, career. And, you know, I've got friends to this day from, from doing that. And that was around marketing. Um, you know, you go to college and then, you know, somebody says it's a good idea to, to, um, to major in accounting. And then, so here I am with an accounting degree, but I've always loved marketing. Right. And, you know, marketing was certainly part of the coursework that I took in college. And it's been part of my career because you go out on your own, you've got to drum up business and that's all marketing related. Right. So I, you know, the basic, uh, story here is started in high school. I've always loved marketing, had to do it for my own business, had to learn a ton about it because I was doing it for myself and, you know, just really loved it. So to add on to that, you get one marketing agency client and you get two, and then you realize, you know, this is the space that I want to be in. These are the types of people that I want to work with. Their business uh, fits really well with what I do and how I like to do it. So marketing, and here's the dirty little secret. Marketing agencies are a lot like accounting firms from how they operate. It's a different service. Sure, it's more creative, generally speaking, but they're both service-based businesses. They operate very similarly. Um, and so it's just a really great fit plus they um, technology heavy, the technology is always changing. That's something that fits really well with what I do and what I like. And so it's, it's just really been a really good fit. So I brought in a couple of different clients and then before you know it, uh, smacks you in the face, and it's like, this is the niche that I need to be in. Cause you get in the business and you, and you, you think, where do I find a niche? And then, you know, before you know it, it smacks you in the face and here we are.
0: <laughs> awesome. So you are now working with lots of different um, creative agencies, digital marketing agencies that you've, you've now started to learn. Um, A lot of the commonalities between them, you know, your sample size of clients. But one of the things that I think a lot of agency owners don't realize is that there is a lot about running a service business that's unique from an accounting perspective. You can't treat a service business the same way as you treat all other businesses like software or product businesses. So what are some of those things about service businesses that um, need to be accounted for differently um, from an accounting perspective? What makes them unique?
1: great question. Um, if you were to think about a retail store, you've got inventory. So you've got your top line revenue, which is what you sell. Uh, you've got your cost of goods sold, which is, you know, the actual cost of the things that you sell. And then that gets you to a gross margin. And then, you know, easy peasy, right? Um, so the margins on that type of business are very, very low. If you think about a bank, it's interest uh, revenue. So the money that is generated from mortgages and Loans and things like that, minus you know the interest expense, so the cost of, of the bank to actually borrow money, and then that's your margin. Service-based businesses, it's, it's totally different. They tend to be very high margin because there's not um, many variable costs that go against generating that revenue, and it's all uh, human capital based. So the amount of effort that you and your employees put into the business, that's what generates the revenue. Um, so there's a couple different things, right? So how do you get to that margin? So one is the direct costs. Um, a good example, like for instance, in my accounting firm, one of the direct costs I have is like QuickBooks subscriptions. Same thing for a digital agent, like a a digital advertising agency. If you're running Facebook ads and you're the one paying for them, the revenue is the margin, you know, the markup that you, that you put on those ads. And then, you know, you're going to back out the cost of the Facebook ads, something like that. That'll get you to your margin. Um, so there's software expense in there. There's, um, human capital expense. If you're allocating specific wages to specific projects, um, that's going to go in your margin as well.
0: You froze there a little bit. Oh, yeah. I think we lost you there. Okay. Okay. Let's circle back. So you said um, we're going to have to edit this out. Let me just take a timestamp, 18 minutes. Okay. So you were talking about how allocating different wages to different projects uh, will get you to margin, and then we'll go from there.
1: Run that by again. Allocating different wages to different uh... We can start the question from the top if you want. Yeah, I just started from the top. Okay, cool.
0: (laughs) So a lot of agency owners don't realize that running a service business um, when it comes to accounting is actually very different than almost every other service business. There are a lot of things that make a service business unique. What are some of those things that, you
1: know, we've got to be treating differently from an accounting perspective when we're talking about agencies? Right. So a lot of the difference happens above the margin. So your margin is your gross revenue minus all the variable costs that go into generating that gross revenue. Simple enough, right? So if you think about a retail store, your gross revenue is going to be all the stuff that you sell. So if you sell one widget for $1, that's your gross revenue. If it costs you 80 cents to buy that widget, now your gross profit is 20 cents. Easy peasy. Okay. If you're thinking about a bank, um, gross revenue is going to be all the interest income that you get from mortgages and loaning out money minus, you know, the cost of obtaining that cash. So the interest that you pay on savings accounts, things like that, that's your margin. Now agencies are service-based businesses to get to that margin. Remember it's everything that's variable. So all the variable stuff that goes into delivering that service, it might be software, it might be ad spend, it might be um, assigning, you know, your different employees to different projects to, allocate their time to those, uh, specific projects and clients. Um, so really a lot of the difference happens above the line. In other words, to arrive at that gross margin. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And I, I think the, the thing that a lot of folks don't understand when we're when I start having conversations with them, I'm sure you've had this conversation a lot too, is, you know, they're not really, um, understanding that unlike a product business, their costs are not fixed when it comes to revenue, right? So it's not like I sell a product and the margin on that is fixed. The margin changes based on, did we scope it properly? How many hours did we spend on it? You know, did we have to bring in contractors? And for some reason, this gets overlooked a lot. Um, But I think that's what adds a lot of complexity also to accounting for service businesses. Um, Now from there, I guess the next question is, why is it so important for agencies to actually have really clean accounting data?
1: Really, really high level, simplest answer. The entire purpose of accounting is so that you can ask questions about your business and get accurate, reliable answers back. Period. So when you thinking about an agency, is this project profitable? Is this service profitable? Is this niche profitable? Um, all those all those things. You know, what's um, you know, where are my fixed expenses? You know, where where can I cut costs to be more profitable? What's too expensive? What's not expensive enough? Am I spending enough on my own marketing? All of that needs to be tracked. All of that is going to lead you to be able to answer those questions about your business. Yep. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> much it.
0: Without clean accounting data. I mean, not, never mind, like you, you might have problems with, you know, Uncle Sam, but, you know, being able to answer those questions 100% when, when you're able to have reliable financial information to make those kinds of um, assessments on, Super, super, super key. So, what are some of the things that you're seeing? A lot of folks that come to you and they're trying to get their accounting data, you know, cleaned up and together. What are some of the common mistakes that you're seeing service businesses make
1: uh, in their accounting? A lot of times, it's the basics. So, let's start with how often do you sit down with your with your CPA, your accountant, your bookkeeper, whoever it is. Hopefully, it's not you doing it, right? If you're an agency owner, you're um, the creative type, you're really good at marketing. You're really good at creative type stuff. You're a really good designer, whatever it is. Odds are that you haven't spent a significant amount of time learning accounting. If you haven't done that, you shouldn't be doing it. You know, um, It's like the person who tries to put the addition on the back of the house and they've never picked up a hammer. You know, <laughs> Same same thing. Um, so how often have you talked to your accountant? How often have you reviewed your books? Start there. Number two, how often do you reconcile your accounts? And this is really, really simple, but it's, You know, the basic of accounting is everything that's hitting your, um, bank and credit card statement in your accounting software. And is everything that's in your accounting software hitting your bank or credit card statement? Start there. That's a good, that's a good place to start from an accrual perspective. What are the expenses that are happening in your business that you have not, um, accounted for? You need to account for in that period of time that you're looking at. So in other words, you should be looking at your financials at least on a monthly basis. Um, Quarterly is less good, but still better than never. And certainly better than, or, you know, better than once a year. If you're just sitting down to do a tax return once a year, and that's all you're looking at it, you're, you're missing out because you're not going to be able to ask those questions and get those answers. So monthly basis. Now a really good example from an accrual accounting perspective. um, I've got somebody who comes and mows my, my lawn. Okay. He comes every week on a Monday, we hope, but he comes every week nonetheless. He sends me a bill on the first of the month, which I then pay, you know, two or three days later. The expense for that is in month one. So if he cuts my lawn in October, I should be paying that expense in November, but the expense needs to be reflected in my books in October, not in November. That's accrual-based accounting. It's matching the activity with um, the expense or the revenue when it actually happened, not so much when you received the cash or when you paid the cash. Mm. Um, Looking at things on an accrual basis is certainly a change for a lot of people, especially small businesses. Um, but it's something that you really need to do because there's no way to forecast cash accurately. Uh, if you're not using our pro based, um, uh, accounting system, it, you know, it doesn't provide complete answers when you go to ask those questions. You know, how is my business really doing? How is it looking for next month? You can't ask those questions if you're not on the pro basis. So um, I want to dig one.
0: into this for just a moment because like, I first. think this is a super important thing um, to talk about. And it's one that I'm amazed that so many people are not aware of. Um, but you know, I, I remember the first time I heard about accrual accounting, it was years ago. And somebody told me that it was really just for big businesses, um, right? Because I was in a different market where I didn't need to do accrual accounting because I was selling widgets, right? But in the service-based business, the accrual accounting is super key because it's reflective of the business model. It's reflective of the way that value is earned and value is actually like accrued over time. So um, I think for everyone that's listening, if you run a service-based business, you should be doing your books and your accounting on an accrual basis so that you can actually get accurate insights
1: into your business. So yeah, the only only exception to that is really small service-based businesses. And the reason is because accrual-based accounting is more, um, is more time intensive. It does require more expertise. And so, to do it is more expensive, right? So you don't want to eat up you know, a ton of your profits and in, in doing accrual-based accounting if really you're not going to get the benefit from it. But there is, there is a line there somewhere uh, where the business is big enough. You need to be forecasting cash flow on a monthly basis and you know, you're scaling when you're in that scaling mode. Yeah,
0: for sure, you need to be on accrual-based accounting. Yeah. And just so that everyone's clear on that, what is it about the service business model that lends itself so well to accrual accounting?
1: Great question. Um, if you think about a scope of work that you've sold and you're going to be doing it over many months. Um, let's just say you've got a 6-month contract where you're delivering some sort of a service and let's just say it's 100 bucks a month. And let's just say you're going to get a 50% deposit up front and you're going to get paid, you know, after the 6 months, maybe in month 7, maybe in month 8, maybe never, <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> um, but under the cash basis of accounting, you would recognize, um, say, $300 right up front when you sold it, when the contract is is sold because you got a 50% deposit, 50% of $600, $300. <laughs> so that's your revenue for the next six months for that contract, or maybe even seven or eight months, maybe nine months. Who knows? It depends on your collection cycle. That's all you're going to recognize. When in reality, the first month, you're going to – do one-sixth of the work. The next month you're going to do one-sixth of the work and so on and so forth until you're done. That's when you've performed the work. That's when you've um, earned the revenue. The client is going to owe you based on the work you've already done, hopefully, if you've structured your contract correctly. And so you should be um, accruing this revenue over a period of six months so that it accurately reflects the work that you have done. Okay. Now, if you don't, you're going to have $300 in month one, and then $300 in month nine, and it's not reflective of how the business is actually operating. It's not reflective of you know, of the work that you've sold, the work that you performed. It's going to it's going to look like you've done nothing, right? The same is also true on an expense side, and it's much more dangerous on an expense side because then you lose sight of your expenses. You don't know what's hanging out there. Uh, it's impossible to forecast cash flow. You think you've got a ton of cash in the bank, and reality it's all spoken for. It makes it very, very difficult. So that's why it's so important. Um, it's not like when you're just selling widgets and you know, well, look, I can't accrue anything because I haven't done the work when the widget is sold, I get the cash and it's done easy. Right. right. Um, it's, it's much more complex and much more, um, nuanced with a service based business.
0: Yeah. And I, I like your important point about how it impacts, um, it impacts expenses too, right? Because it's, especially if you run an agency where you're bringing in a lot of contractors or you're, you know, bringing in a lot of outsourced work to kind of help deliver projects, like it, there needs to be a clear picture of when that work is being done by those outside people when they're earning their piece of the pie. So that to your point, if you take a big deposit, let's call it $100,000 at the start of a project, you know how much of that actually belongs to you. And you know how much of that you can actually use to run your business versus how much of it belongs to somebody else. And it avoids you being in this mode where I'm sure you see this all the time as well. You're looking at your bank account and you're looking at the number in there and you're like, that's how much money I have. When in the reality is like, that is not how much money you have. It's way more complex than that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And cash is the lifeblood of any business. If you have no cash, you're, it's going to be really, really hard. Any any per, any person who's been in business, who's been running their own business, and has struggled with cash knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's impossible to forecast cash if you're not on a accrual based accounting. I mean, you can do it, but it's not going to be nearly as accurate. It's gonna, not going to be nearly as informative. And you know, back to the the whole thing about accounting where you're making decisions based on information that's incomplete or inaccurate. And you can't just, you can't ask the question of your business. Mm. Yeah.
0: All right. So there you have it, guys. Accrual accounting. You got to do it right. I have one specific, really specific, and I think this is great. We can get nerdy here because that's what the podcast is about, is around revenue recognition for accrual accounting. So even the folks that I talk to that are doing accrual, um, if their accountant or their CPA is not super well-versed in um, service businesses, they're not really clear on what the best way to realize revenue is uh, on an accrual basis. And obviously, there's different ways to do this. You can look at um, the amount of hours that were worked. You can look at a percent complete of the project, which is a little bit more subjective, you can look at just spreading that amount of revenue out evenly over time, which for most projects is not a realistic thing. From your perspective, what's the best way to do revenue recognition when it comes to accrual accounting?
1: It's a great question. You really need <laughs> to start Start with the contract. What does the contract say? If the contract says that it's going to be based on specific deliverables, then you know, base your revenue recognition on those specific deliverables. If the contract says it's going to be um, you know, there's one deliverable and you're doing it over a period of time. If it were me, um, I would allocate it based on the amount of time that has been spent on that particular project. But to get down to the really nitty gritty, look at the contract first, the contract is going to dictate it and then go to some sort of other allocation method, you know, and they all get you to the same place. It should be that you've recognized in my prior example, the revenue over six months, however, that's going to look, um, but it really depends on, um, you know, what the deliverable is, when it's deliverable, and then the amount of time that you've spent.
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So think about it at the contract level and work off of that. Um, okay. So now we're rolling back up to the original question I asked you like 15 minutes ago, which is what are the most common mistakes you're seeing people make? So obviously not using accrual accounting or not doing accrual accounting is one of them. Any other uh, major things that you see people coming
1: to you with that um, they're not quite doing right when it comes to accounting for their agency? Yes, inadequate or no systems. So if you're the if you're the one who's doing your accounting on an Excel spreadsheet, no bueno, no good. You need you need actual accounting software. You need applications that play well with that software. Your accounting software should be cloud based, not desktop based. The reason being is if you have an accountant, well, one of the reasons being, and this is a little bit self serving, but if you have an accountant who's halfway across the country, you know, we could be looking at the same numbers in, in real time doing the same thing, number one. Number number two, um, what you effectively do with cloud-based accounting systems is offload the security to somebody who's probably a lot better at it than you are because you do have client data in there. It is your data, too, so you want it to be protected. Um, and there's been a lot of things lately around, you know, hackers targeting these hosted type platforms for like QuickBooks desktop and and things like that. So just, I mean, just make it easy to go to the cloud. The third thing is that cloud-based accounting systems make it easier to plug in other applications. So maybe it's a bill pay system that you have. um, You know, maybe it's an expense tracking system. If you've got employees who are uh, submitting expense reports on a regular basis, or maybe it's just other marketing um data that you can then combine with your financial data to make it leverage data. So that's one of the things I talk a lot about is financial data plus non-financial data equals leverage data. When you can combine the two things, you can get greater insights out of it. I know that's something that's near and dear to your heart as well. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, that's the cloud and the cloud allows for that. So um inadequate systems uh to answer your your question very briefly and to summarize it would be would be the fourth thing. Awesome.
0: So yeah so we've got not looking at it on a regular basis, doing it themselves. Um, We've got not using the accrual method of accounting and then of course not using the right tools uh, and processes to get things done on a regular basis in an accurate way that's safe and that is
1: usable and referenceable from a data perspective. Absolutely. And the downstream impact of all of those things is number one, you can't ask good questions about your business. And then number two, if all of that stuff is inaccurate, good luck with your tax return.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is which is probably the worst part of it all because uh, you know we nobody wants to owe money to the government. They're probably the worst loan shark in the country. That's uh, exactly right. Yeah. Awesome. So from there, um, I think there's some other cool things that we can talk about, uh, like cash. So we talked about the importance of cash. Um, I've seen many, many, many examples of agencies that did not have enough cash in their business. And of course, if you run an agency, you've had ebbs and flows, right? You've had busy, busy, busy times where you're crushing it, you're making so much money, you don't even know what to do with it all. And then you have times where you're stuck in the doldrums, and there's no work coming in, and you're not really sure what's going on. Clients aren't signing contracts, payrolls coming up. And you're like, geez, we're cutting it really, really close. So what kind of cash reserves should agencies be thinking about putting aside in order to help them kind of survive the ebbs and flows that
1: are a natural part of running a service business? I love this question. So thank you for asking. it. (laughs) Um, My recommendation is between two and six months of fixed expenses. How you get there um, is going to be different for every single agency. Let's now, be there clear are clear
0: about fixed expenses. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, what does fixed go. expenses mean? Let's define that.
1: Those are expenses that are going to exist in the business, whether or not you generate a dollar of revenue tomorrow.
0: Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at And With that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it.
1: So remember we talked earlier about margins. So margins is all variable. So your revenue is variable. You're not guaranteed to have revenue tomorrow. And the expenses to generate that revenue, they're also variable to get you down to a margin. Because if you don't have the revenue, you're not going to have those expenses. So fixed expenses are all the stuff that's in your business that is not going to go away. It's salaries and wages. um, It's your rent. It's uh, to some extent software expense all the stuff that is fixed that is going to happen regardless that you're going to incur tomorrow, it should also include the owner's pay. Right. Because what you're taking out of the business, because you're going to need to survive too. So that's going to make more sense here in, in in a minute or so. Now there are mathematical formulas that are out there. There's probably less than a handful that will quantify for you how much cash you should have in your business. I've looked at them in my mind, really, they apply more to large publicly traded companies than they do to small service based businesses, you know, the mom and pop shop, mom right. and pop shop, Yeah, I'm doing the air quotes. <laughs> so in reality, when we're figuring out, well, should it be two months of fixed expenses that I should keep in reserves? Or should it be six months? It's what I call the can you sleep at night index. <laughs> and what I do, and I'm, I'm sure that you'll link to this in the, in the show notes, or I would appreciate if you did. Absolutely. You cal- got a calculator, right? I've got a calculator on my website. Yeah. That's right. Thanks for the shameless plug. It's, it's um, in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, perfect. So there's a number <laughs> of questions that I asked that basically get you to a number that um, is comfortable for you, that you would have sitting in a bank where you can literally sleep at night. And it's going to fall somewhere between two and six months. But it's going to be dependent on what does your uh, revenue pipeline look like? What does your growth look like? Um, what are your expectations for how much you're going to have to invest in the business? In other words, if you know that you're going to have to bring on another employee, if you know that you're going to have to do some huge software upgrade, if you know that you're going to have to you know, replace everybody's laptop, those are investments. What does that look like from a personal perspective? How, what is your personal liquidity like? Um, and there's, I think there's nine of those questions, but it's all around, what do you think about the business? How does it make you feel? And then if you feel less good about the business, you're going to need to have more cash, in order to make you feel better about where you are. Um, So you'd be closer to that six month window. And if you feel really great about the business, it's humming along. Your growth rate is just crazy. Uh, You're personally financially really solvent. The revenue pipeline looks awesome. You don't really have that much, um, that much expense sitting in the pipeline. Then yeah, I mean, you're going to be closer to two months, but two months, that's your, that's your floor. And then six months, that's really your ceiling. If you go beyond that six months, and you're, you have just a bunch of cash in the business that you're not investing into something else, then it's just a waste. Um, in some cases, that's a really bad idea. And if you have less than, than two months, generally, you're just, you know, operating on a shoestring and it's, you're kind of looking for where your next check's going to come from, and that's never comfortable. So um, that cash balance, that cash reserve really needs to happen first um, before you start thinking about investing and scaling and, and all those sorts of things.
0: No, I love this framework. And the calculator is great, by the way, guys. So go check that out. Um, it's really easy. You fill out, you answer a few questions, and it helps you get an understanding of how many months of fixed expenses you should have set aside. And it really comes back to, I think, a lot of the things that John uh, Garudi talked about on the podcast, which is like, what's the risk level in your business, right? So how much revenue is recurring? How much of it's project-based? Uh, you know, How quickly are you growing? All this other stuff. Um, but it really just comes down to like higher risk, have more cash it's a pretty straightforward sure. equation. So make sure you guys check that out. I like that. So this actually leads me to another question, which is around, you know, a lot of people um, will get um, tied up in the minutia of like, well, where do we put that money? And I think a lot of that depends on like, is it in the business? Do I take it out, hold it personally, and a different thing? And I think that comes back to what kind of corporate entity you have, and what's going to be tax efficient. So from your perspective, um, how should agencies be thinking about the right corporate entity for them uh, based on where they're at
1: in their business? Right. So the vast majority of of my clients are S-Corps. So here in the States, that's a pass-through entity. Um, You know, the the benefits of an S-Corp are generally that it helps you to save money on taxes from a self-employment tax perspective. So it's a little bit more generally. It's a little bit more tax efficient than a sole proprietorship. Um, Your other option, if you've got multiple members of the entity, so you have multiple partners, multiple owners, you know, however you want to phrase it, is a partnership there are drawbacks and, and there are pros and cons to each, you know, the S corp is a little bit more difficult to manage. There are soups that you have to jump through every single year. You've got to pay yourself reasonable conversation, which is a whole other topic that we can get into later. If you want, um, you've got to have corporate minutes, you know, things like that, you know, otherwise you lose the S corp status and that's no good. You don't want to do that. So, um, generally they're all S corps because there is, um, some tax efficiency there. Um, you know, the fallback would be partnership for. Uh, entities with multiple owners and multiple partners. And then beyond that, it would be, you know, your sole proprietorship. So the sole proprietorship would be the alternative to the partnership. If you're not going to be an S corp and if you're only one person, uh, corporations historically. So your C corps have been tax inefficient. Uh, they do have their time and their place and they are a little bit more um, attractive after the tax cuts and jobs act, which was particularly, as it's affectionately known as, which was the um, the big tax legislation here in in 2017. But um, generally speaking, that's, that's probably not going to be an option.
0: Okay, so there you have it, S corp. And if you have an S corp, and of course you want to create your cash reserves,
1: um, where are you putting that money? Are you yeah. keeping in the company? Yeah, yeah. You keep, if you're a cash reserve that is for the company, is kept in the company. Now, from a revenue perspective, these are all passed through entities and then, you know, the, the income and all that's going to flow through to the owner. Or from the actual cash perspective, where the cash is being held, it's going to be held with the entity.
0: Well, there you have it, folks. <laughs> just like that, black and white. I love it. So from there, um, I want to get into another question, which is I think an area that's super, super important that not enough uh, enough people think about, which is their chart of accounts, because that is really kind of the foundation, the building blocks on which the insights that you get from your accounting data is built, or at least the ease with which you get to the insights that you want is built. So um, I think this is something that a lot of people don't really think about a whole lot when they're setting up QuickBooks for the first time, or if they're hiring an accountant that doesn't really know a whole lot about service, businesses are just kind of gonna copy paste whatever generic template is in there and then to try and answer the questions that they want to answer, they've got to sift through a ton of data and do a bunch of math. And it's really a big pain in the ass. So when it comes to <laughs> setting up your chart of accounts as a service business, what are some of the best practices we want to make sure we're watching out for there?
1: Okay. The biggest problem I generally see is what we would refer to as a sprawling chart of accounts. Hmm. Where you've got a separate account, meaning a separate call a bucket. So when we say um account, what we really need is a bucket, um, a bucket where you would put activity. So in other words, rent goes in a rent bucket or a rent account. And the chart of accounts is basically just you know the, uh, the total listing of all of the accounts that you have for your business. That said, biggest mistake is a sprawling chart of accounts where you've got one account for every little transaction. So if you have accounts that you know, on a very regular basis, have one transaction in them per month or one transaction in them per year, you've got way too many accounts in your charter accounts. It makes it very difficult to manage. It makes it very difficult to do the accounting because now you're splitting hairs on how you're going to classify this transaction or that transaction. You know, was this, um, I took a client to the baseball game. Is it, um, is it travel meals or is it entertainment meals? Who knows? Right. But, uh, Um, (laughs) that's what happens when you've got, when you've got too many accounts. So smaller is better generally. Now, the biggest, the big, the two biggest things are number one, you've got to be able to get to a good margin. And we talked about that a little bit earlier. So gross profit margin is everything that's variable. Revenue is variable. And then all the expenses that are variable to achieve that revenue. That is what gets you to your, your gross margin. And again, you want to have as many accounts as you need. So you're probably going to need um, a, a revenue account for every different line of business that you have. You're also going to need um, a cost of goods sold or a selling expense, however you want to call it, uh, account for um, contract labor. So if you're bringing in freelancers to write blogs, or if you're bringing in freelancers to do logo design, you know there should, be, there should be some sort of a contract labor um, component there or an account. Uh, anything that's variable as far, as far as software, you know, if you're hosting websites, um, that's going to be variable. And that's a really good example because you bring on one more, you got another hosting fee that should be, that's totally variable, right? You would not have had that expense had you not brought on that, that extra website That's variable It goes above the line. So that's, that's one getting to a good margin. Number two, how you break out wages in the S corp. Um, example that I gave a few minutes ago, you should have an owner's compensation bucket or actually you should have a couple of buckets and then you should have everybody else. Reason being is because you want to identify those items separately when you go to do the tax return. And then you also want to identify those, those items to make sure that you're staying on top of your reasonable compensation. So those are the the two biggest things. The three biggest things, really number one, get to a good margin number two, break out your salaries and wages so that it's owners and non-owners. And then number three, make sure that your chart of accounts isn't enormous because it is impossible to manage.
0: And I think it's important to think about, you know, when you're setting up a chart of accounts, you have to be thinking about what, do, what what kind of things am I, what kind of questions do I want to answer on a regular basis in mind? So like, if you want to know what your customer acquisition cost is, well, then your chart of account should be set up so that you can look at a line, understand what your loaded marketing and sales costs were and easily go defy that by the amount of customers you had and figure out your customer acquisition cost, right? So, you know, it's, it's really a function of like, what are the questions I'm trying to answer? And then your chart of account should kind of support those insights that you're trying to get to, right? 100%. Um, Yeah. So I love those insights. So from there, again, I want to get nerdy because we can do that here. Um, I think a lot of people get confused about, you know, what is really the fundamental difference from this perspective um, on a freelancer versus a full-time employee and and how those get um, put into the accounting system?
1: Okay. And this is a great question. Freelancers, generally speaking, are going to go above the line because you're only going to bring them on for certain projects, certain clients, certain services, whatever it is. So again, they're 100% variable because you've already generated some sort of revenue or you think that you're going to generate revenue because you have a signed contract. So that's why you're bringing them on. So they go above the line, number one. So they're, you know, like I was saying a couple minutes ago, there should be some sort of a contract labor line in your chart of accounts to get you to that gross profit number. Number two...
0: I want to make one quick uh, note on that is like, I think a lot of people um, are tied up with the idea of the relationship or the contractual relationship they have with an individual as it relates to are they an employee? or Are they a contractor? But I think it comes back to This is an important point that you're making about the relationship that that person has with variability. So if you have a person that isn't technically, you know, an, an employee of the company, but you pay them two grand a month, whether you have work or not, and you know, they like, that's just, then that's going to be more of a fixed cost than is a variable cost, right? So, yeah, technically 100%. they're a contractor, but I think it's important for people to understand that that's how we have to think about this.
1: A hundred percent. And another thing that you really need to think about, especially here in the States, I'm assuming it's at least somewhat similar in Canada, is how you classify people um, between contractors and employees. So, if you control how, when, and why they do their work and you provide training and you provide the equipment and the software and all of that stuff, they're an employee. If they can do the work unsupervised, they're going to basically just provide you a deliverable. You don't care how they get to that deliverable. You just want the deliverable. Um, It's variable. You're not controlling where they work or when they work. Then they're a contractor. Most businesses want more contractors because contractors are cheaper. And the reason that they're cheaper, is because you don't have to pay, um, benefits. You don't have to pay employee, um, employer taxes. That's another 7.65% here in the States. Um, you know, you don't have to pay vacation time, all that stuff. So generally speaking, when we're thinking about, um, an employee, say you pay them a hundred bucks on average, it's going to be somewhere between, uh, 25 and 30% is going to be all that extra tax. And, um, um, benefits cost. So if you pay them a hundred bucks in reality, they could be costing you $130. Whereas if you pay a contractor a hundred bucks you're paying them a hundred bucks and that's what they cost. And so it's much cheaper and it's much more efficient. Now the, the flip side of that is for the contractor, you're putting the taxes and the medical insurance and all that back on them. So it puts them in a, in a different position, but that's, that's a conversation for another time. Um, so there's, there's two components here. One, are they fixed or are they variable? And then number two, are they really contractors? Are they really employees? You got to be really careful because that's a really good way to get yourself in trouble. Right, so
0: like, let's talk about this then. You, obviously, you've got the the pretty clear cut employee versus um, employee versus contractor. Where you've got the employees, they're going to go, you know, into fixed costs, and their salaries are going to get allocated. We'll talk about that in a second. And then yep. you've got the contractor that you just bring in for the project. You pay them a certain amount, and then they go away after the project is done. But what about that kind of, um, <laughs> like? freelance slash like the, the gray area, the ambiguous where you've got this person that you've basically got on a retainer, let's call it for $2,000 a month and they come in and they do work. But if there's no work for you, you don't just send them packing. Like how would you account for them um, in your accounting data to make sure that it's an, an accurate
1: reflection of your business's economics? Sure. So if you're paying them 2000 bucks a month, every month, it just is what it is. They're a fixed cost. And then you can allocate, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but and then you can allocate their time to projects and stuff like that. So that, you know, a portion of it becomes variable, um, you know, in your, in your financial reporting. Um, but you need to ask those same questions. So just because you're paying 2000 bucks a month, that would make them lean toward employee, but the rest of it, you have to, you have to ask a question. Um, are you controlling when and where they do the work? Are you providing them with a laptop? Are you providing them with software? Are you providing them with training? Then you get into that whole employee thing. And really, they're not not contractors or freelancers anymore. They're employees. But you got to be really careful. But in those, you know, so in that particular case, with the freelancer, they can either be totally variable, they can be totally fixed, or they can be some combination of the two. Right.
0: Okay. So moving on to the next point, which is like, how do you actually start to allocate salaries and, you know, these... I don't even know what we want to call them. Uh, these gray area uh, contractors. How do you start allocating, you know, their salaries to get accurate reporting inside of your accounting?
1: And I think you're going to appreciate this answer, but it starts with time tracking.
0: I do appreciate that answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Um, you know, with with a contractor, I mean, you could ask them to. You could do a couple of things. One, you know, or a freelancer, as as we like to put. You could ask them to track their time on your system. You could ask them to track their time on their own system, or you could ask them to provide estimates. You know, if, if you're paying $2,000 a month, you can ask them to provide some sort of an estimate where they allocate their time to multiple projects, and then that's how you would allocate it. Uh, but it starts with time tracking, because otherwise, there's really no other way. There's no there's no data-based way um, to go and allocate it. At the, at the end of the day, really... From, you know, it's cost accounting, and then you could allocate anything, however you want, based on any model that you really come up with. But if it's going to be a data driven approach, if it's going to be based on some sort of a reality, it needs to start with time tracking. So you take employee number one, um, you pay them $100, you know, 12% of their time goes to client A, well, then $12 goes to client A, that particular project. Um, $20 goes to client B because I spent 20% of their time on that. And then you allocate that as well. Now you got to make sure that the, when you're allocating those expenses, that you're allocating the fully loaded expenses. And that gets back to what I talked to a couple of minutes ago, salaries, benefits, taxes, the full cost of having that employee is what you want to allocate. You can't just allocate the salary.
0: Right. And so you're taking their fully loaded cost and then to get to, um, you know, like a cost per hour, you're basically just dividing it by all the billable time
1: that they're working over the course of a year. Correct. Correct. Awesome. So some employees work more, and so they're less than the employees who are paid the same and work less. Right. You because know, you're getting, you know, you're getting more productivity out of them theoretically. Well, there you have it,
0: and then from there, so then I think it's important to define like what is gross profit and what is net profit, um, you know, because I think a lot of agencies now are starting to look at gross profit on projects, so I think is a good thing, um, but then a lot of them are actually not clear on on what that means and what shouldn't shouldn't be factored into that. Um, so, from your experience working with clients, you know, what is the definition of gross profit and what are some of the benchmarks that you see them kind of aiming for?
1: Sure. So gross profit, gross revenue. Minus all of the variable costs that go into generating that revenue. So revenue, or so expenses that you would not generate otherwise if it were not for generating that revenue. That's your gross profit. You want to be aiming for a number that is as high as possible. And I know that that's a very ambiguous, um, ambiguous way to say that. But everybody's different because everybody operates differently. What we're seeing a lot of now are agencies that have fully distributed teams. So if you have a fully distributed team, you're probably working from home. You don't have any rent. And you can operate in a in a way from a financial perspective that's that's very efficient. Your margins are probably going to be pretty high. Um, I've got agency clients who you do that. I mean, their margins are really in excess of like ninety percent. It's crazy. Mm. Um, they're the outlier, but and they and they're also small, so they don't do accrual accounting and they don't allocate time and stuff like that. So they're an outlier, but you know the number that they make decisions based off of is that ninety percent number. It's crazy, but it happens now. You know, more realistically, you should probably be, you know, somewhere between 60 and 80 percent, depending on how you operate. That's from a gross perspective. Now, so this would about, be
0: factoring in, um, you know, your cost of goods sold that gets you to address the gross income and then time right. allocated. You know, so basically the cost of the employees that worked on that.
1: Correct. Yeah, correct. And it's going to be it's going to be dependent on the agency and how they operate and things like that. But somewhere in that realm, I would consider it to be normal. Yeah. Now we're talking about net profit that's otherwise affectionately referred to as the bottom line. So it doesn't matter how you do allocations. It doesn't matter, you know, what's variable, what's fixed. It doesn't matter. It's your gross revenue minus all the stuff that goes out. So it's your cost of goods sold, It's your variable expenses, it's your salaries, your wages, your taxes, um, you know, payroll taxes, rent software, the whole kit and caboodle, that's your bottom line. That's what the business made for that period of time. So, um, it's really kind of interesting because that, you know, if you're going to compare agencies to agencies, that's really what you should look at, you know, because the you know, everything else in between, you know, you can shift it around. So it looks one way or the other. Um, it's really about what that agency owner wants to ask of their business. So that's going to determine the structure of the chart of accounts. So that's the middle. Um, but in reality, you know, the bottom line is, is what's going to, it's what's really matters.
0: Yeah. And that's probably the number that most people are familiar with because I think for a lot of folks, their relationship with the accountant is once a year they go and sit down, the accountant shows them that number on a piece of paper and they either go drinking cause they're happy or they go drinking because they're sad, but either way they're having a drink. Right. So.
1: Sure. And it's super easy because <laughs> you just look at the bottom of the page and then you're done. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. the number. Cool. I'm done. But there's a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> that happens in the middle uh that, that that's where the complexity lies Definitely.
0: Um, all right. So this is this is good. And I, I just, for people, um, for reference, you know, I think your benchmark of eighty percent gross um, does make a lot of sense. Again, to your point, it depends on your business model and net. I mean, I'm seeing the average in the industry being right around 10%, um, but I like to shoot for 20 to 25% net on an annual basis. And especially from like a cash perspective, if you want to have strong cash reserves and grow fast, which is expensive, um, those kind of profit margins are, are pretty necessary in order to fund that without running into scary cash crunch times, um, especially as you're trying to make investments um, to grow your business and hiring out at a time and stuff like that. Those are luxuries that require cash. Um, so all good stuff. Now, the last thing I want to ask you about is um, around some of the, the ways that your clients that are most profitable, the ones that you're seeing do the best. What are some of the things that they're doing to maximize the amount of profit that they're making in their business, either from a pricing perspective, or from an operations perspective?
1: glad that you asked me about pricing. Um, (laughs) So that lets me tee up the value pricing discussion. So agencies should be pricing, not based on time that they spend, they should be uh, pricing based on the value that they deliver. And that's different for, you know, the different forms of agencies. A really good example is, you know, a a digital agent, a digital direct marketing agency who um, is running ads. You should be, and if you're going to be more effective than you know the next agency down the street, you should be charging a higher price. So maybe it's not that 15% markup that's been standard that's going away. Um, maybe it's you know 20 or 25, or maybe it's a fixed fee. <clears throat> I've been seeing a little bit more fixed fee uh, recently, and that, that makes me very happy. <laughs> that's, that's the way that it should be. You should be um, uh, pricing based on the value that you deliver, and, you should, and that needs to be measurable. So it's one thing to say to a client, it's going to be a hundred dollars. It's another thing to say to them, it's a hundred dollars. And this is the value that I drove to your business. Um, So that's one niching down. That's two. And then measuring um, what niches are most profitable. A lot of generalists, you know, they'll, they'll um, support 20 different agencies or 20 different industries as an example. Well, not all 20 of those industries are going to be profitable. And you can't take you know, the product or the service that you delivered for industry one and then you know uh, apply that to industry 10 because that's just not the way that it works. Every, or every industry is different. It's different to market for accounting firms than it is to market for manufacturers. There's a totally different thing because you need to know about the business. You need to know about the industry in order to be effective and in order to be efficient. So niching down is another one. And the way to pare that down is to track it. Once you start to see, look, this industry is not, is not profitable for me. I need to axe that. I need to focus my attention on the industries that are profitable. And then number three, uh, just being really diligent and, um, um, just really paying close attention to the expenses in your business because they can get out of control really, really quickly, especially in a software heavy, um, society that we have now, you know, (laughs) <laughs> you subscribe to one piece of software, it's like, ah, oh, it's a big deal. It's 10 bucks a month. That's cool. And then before you know it, you're not using it, and it just lingers there. And then you add on another one and another one and another one, and it's not helping you to drive revenue. It's not helping you to drive efficiency and, and drive down costs in the in the agency. It just kind of sits there, and you're paying for it because it's only 10 bucks a month. Those things add up. But that's just one example. Um, what you're doing with meals and entertainment, that's another good example. Uh, What you're doing or not doing with marketing, that's another good example. Your internal marketing, not your external marketing. Um, Just being really vigilant about where all those numbers go. And that gets back to the point that I made at the beginning of this show, which is you need to be looking at your financials with somebody who's qualified to walk you through and tell you the story on a very regular basis.
0: I like all of those things um, that you just talked about, you know, everything from making sure that you're sitting down with your accountant on a regular basis, reviewing these things, managing your expenses, the value-based pricing, which I think for most agencies, yeah, is probably a great way to increase the amount of money that you make for the amount of time that your team has to invest and the amount of costs that you get, um, you know, or the, the amount of costs that you incur for each hour of their time. Um I I agree with all of this stuff. So this is this is good stuff. So guys, if you're not value based pricing, depending on what kind of services you offer, I still I don't I'm not crazy about it for software because there's so much risk in software development. But that's um, a different, for most different, other different things, animal. Yeah, for most of the things that are relatively predictable, um, I like that niching down is a good way to make sure you're increasing the amount of value that you're driving. Um, So these are all good things. So there's a couple of last things I want to plug before you take off. I think um, you create some really great value um, for people that that want to become more financially savvy in their business. Um, You've got a great YouTube show called uh, Accounting for Marketing, which uh, I was fortunate enough to be a guest on. So I'm going to link that up in the show notes. And I think you're also releasing a book, are you not?
1: Uh, I've got an ebook forthcoming. Um, it'll be about going from freelancer to agency owner. So uh, what I've heard, some of the feedback that I've heard is there's all sorts of financial resources for freelancers. There's all sorts of financial resources for agency owners, but there's nothing for the middle. And so I'm putting together an ebook now. should be out in the next couple of weeks or so. Um, and title forthcoming. <laughs> and that'll help to address that. that I'm hoping that that's going to be a resource to help you transition from freelancer to agency owner.
0: Awesome. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in the book, you should go to where in order to get notified when that book comes out?
1: Betterwaycpa.com. And it'll be right there on the on the homepage. Awesome. And
0: make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm sure you'll be talking about it on there as well. So I'll leave information to uh, Chris's website, the YouTube show, the calculator as well, all down in the show notes. So make sure you go check that out if you're looking for more information on Chris or any of the information that he shared today. So with that, um, we've gone on for a long time. This has been one of the nerdiest conversations I've had, but also probably one of the most valuable. So I hope that everyone listening at home uh, got a lot of value from this. And Chris, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show, man. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, with that, I hope you guys
0: enjoyed the show. Leave us a comment, let you know what you got from it, and I will see you in the next episode. Well, that's all for today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show if you wanna make sure to be kept up to date when we release a new show. And of course, check out parakeeto.com if you wanna dive deeper into our library of resources to improve your profitability, including our free agency profitability toolkit. And of course, if you got some value from today's episode and you think somebody else might benefit from hearing it, be sure to share it with them or leave us a review. All of those things help us impact more agency owners. So with that, thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode.